then we'll let you run out. Are you going to come back and start? Mm -hmm. Okay. Good morning, everybody. Nobody's all here yet, sweetheart. I'm waiting until people pop up. <laughs> Man, when you got the experts here, you have to try to follow the direction. You should. Good morning, those of you who are joining us live. Give me just a moment. I'm trying to actually find this on my computer. And then once I do, we'll give everybody a chance to uh, come in the room and then we'll get started. So give me just a minute. As you are coming in, go ahead and uh, share and tag and all the other things that you guys do on a weekly basis. You know what we do, we click, we share, we tag. We do all of those wonderful things to get people in the room. As you know, Facebook Live is not my preferred method <laughs> of communication but as my wife says if you want to get better at something you got to do it so here we are here we go this is what's going to happen on today i am going to pin a couple of things to the comment section so that you will have them and then as people begin to come in the room we'll do some quick um updating about some housekeeping things and then we'll get into the word Hopefully everybody is staying safe. Uh, I know that if you're one of those people who keep up with the news, it can be kind of uh, a task to hear all of the numbers that are coming out from the number of people who have been um, you know, contacted or have come in contact with COVID-19. But I did read that over 200,000 people have recovered from it. Uh, and I don't think we give God enough praise for that. So thank God for the people who uh, have recovered. Uh, we're praying for those who are affected and praying for their recovery and praying for the families of those who have lost loved ones. Everybody probably at some shape, form, or fashion has had somebody they know or somebody they know that they know, some connection, some way, family, friends, somebody who's been impacted. So we're praying, you know, uh, this whole COVID-19 thing has changed how we do things. But Jesus is still Lord. Jesus is still Lord. He's still Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God who heals. And we give him praise for that. So go ahead and um, let me pull up one more thing. And then uh, it is 10.01 uh, and we'll get started. I got Pastor Sean over here to my left. She's going to be my director today. I'm a much better director <laughs> than I am a uh, Facebook liver. So uh, you're going to have to forgive me. So sometimes I'll look up and sometimes I'll look in the screen when I get to teaching. I probably won't because I get so enthralled in what I'm doing that I forget that y'all are kind of out there. So, uh, listen, you know how this works. Thumbs up. If I say something you like, you can heart something. If I say something you love, if I say something petty, which I probably will at some point during this message, uh, you can hit the laugh button or the, oh my goodness, button, whichever one you feel good about. Uh, but I do want to tell you, we have about 150 new people who have uh, liked our Facebook page since we uh, were on last Sunday. And just as a disclaimer, you know, you came here. We didn't come to you. Uh, and so if you don't like something that's being said or done, you are free to click off. 
Uh, what you are not free to do is to make negative comments and disrupt the Facebook Live. We have about four or five people uh, who are editors or administrators, and if you get to talking crazy, they will block you. Uh, you don't have to like everything, that's fine. Uh, we don't all agree on everything, but we don't come to your house and be disruptive, and so uh, we don't expect you to come to ours and be disruptive. All right, y'all ready to get into the Word of God this morning? That's about what my wife told me to tell y'all. Also, just before we get started, I want to make sure that you know uh, I've pinned uh, at the bottom of the comment section uh, a place where those of you that are partners, uh, you can give your tithe and offering. Uh, we have several ways we can give, uh, and if you can't see the pin at the bottom, all you have to do is click the button that says See More. When you click the See More button, it will expand uh, that particular comment, and you'll be able to see that you can give via our website. All you have to do is go to www.focchurch, that's www.focchurch.com. On the right-hand side of the webpage, there's a place that says Online Giving. You click that button, simply follow directions. It'll allow you to either do a one-time gift or you can even set up a recurring gift. We also have uh, a few other ways that you can give. We're now using uh, Givelify. I actually like Givelify uh, because it allows you to give to multiple funds at one time with just one click. Uh, I've been a user of what we have called PushPay for years uh, since we started about two years ago. And I love PushPay, but whenever I was wanting to give to multiple funds, like our scholarship fund, my tithe, my offering to Children's Church, I had to give four times. And so Givelify allows you to give to multiple funds just one time. We also use something called Tithely. Uh, and you'll see there that you can click that link for Tithely. You can give that way. Uh, and then last week, we added a new way to give, which is simply by typing the word give uh, to a particular phone number. And I don't have that phone number in front of me, uh, but I think it is 833-969-0897. I don't expect you to remember that, but it is in the comments section there uh, where I've pinned on ways to give. So uh, with that being said, you have multiple ways to give. Tag your friends, tag your family members, because I want to introduce to you uh, what we're going to talk about today. And uh, I've been informed that I, I've got next week, too. And so uh, because I've got next week, I, I've, I've kind of divided this message in half. We'll talk about the beginning of it today and then maybe uh, end it next week or the week after. We'll see how it goes. So at this time, I believe that uh, Pastor Sean is going to come and she's going to get started. I, I think she told me to, to remind you that if you want to watch this on, if you're an Instagram person, you can go to her Instagram. No, not your, okay. She's not doing her Instagram today. You can go to the church's uh, Instagram, uh, which is F-O-C-N-W-A. Uh, if you like uh, to view it on Instagram, you can do that. Of course, those of you that are already here, uh, you're watching it on our open Facebook page. And so, uh, at this time, I'm, I'm going to take just a moment, and, and, and we're going to get started. I think it did come on. I think we're good. Uh, Tell Charisma to go to Instagram more. So, uh, Charisma, if you're on here, Pastor Sean says you can go to Instagram. Any of you who like Instagram better, you can go to Instagram. Uh, there's two cameras here. I'm probably going to be more partial to my left side, so I'll try to be mindful to look over here sometimes as well. Uh, and, and make this a good viewing experience, okay? All right, so we're going to get into the teaching. I think I've done all the formalities. Um, uh, some of you know uh, I get called petty pastor sometimes. 
Uh, I take that as a term of endearment. I will try not to be extremely petty today, but what I'm going to talk about um, lends itself to being a little petty. So I'll get into the message a little bit before I start doing all that. Y'all going to be all right this morning? All right. All right. So we're going to get started and I want to talk about uh, kind of what has been going on the last couple of weeks. If you have been following uh, this page, then you have seen, I hope, Pastor Sean's uh, last two Sunday services. If you haven't, I beseech you, I beg of you to go back and listen to the last two messages uh, that she taught um, on Sunday morning. And, and, and if you haven't been listening to Refresh Bible Study, uh, I strongly encourage you to go and listen to, to Wednesday night's teaching uh, by Pastor Ralph uh, entitled The God Kind of Faith. Um, Pastor Sean's message the last two weeks has been dealing with the supernatural. Uh, and in fact, if, if you're out there this morning and uh, let me get you to be a little interactive, go ahead and just, just in the comment section, just, just type in, I'm expecting supernatural results. I'm expecting supernatural results. Because when Pastor Shun started teaching two weeks ago, she started talking about operating in the presence and the power of God. Operating in the presence and the power of God. And it was such a powerful message because she it really was a, a call to arms, so to speak. It was just call to let us know that, hey, you know, this, this whole COVID-19 thing is on the rise, but not just COVID-19. There were many things that were happening with our economy and various things. And she was really trying to set us up and let us know that we did not have to be afraid. We didn't have to be in panic. We didn't have to be in fear. That the reality of it is, is that we as believers can operate in the presence and the power of God. She then came back the week after that, and she followed that up by talking about uh, the God of the supernatural. And, and, and I don't know uh, if, if believers understand this enough, but that the God that we serve is a supernatural God. He, he is not a God who, who can only operate in the same realm that we can. Uh, in fact, we serve a God who operates uh, in, in, in the impossible, who can do things that we couldn't even think that could be done. Uh, and then whatever we think can be done, we serve a God who can supersede that. And so she started talking about that uh, on last week. And then Pastor Ralph followed it up with talking about the God kind of faith. And, and, and I'm a firm believer. And if you've been at FOC for any length of time, you've heard us say this before. I believe that once a person gets born again, once a person accepts Jesus Christ into their life, the number one thing that they need to be instructed in after that point, part of becoming a disciple is learning how to walk by faith. Walking by faith is the quintessential um, lesson that every believer needs. If you look at all of the things that Jesus taught his disciples, that is the thing that he taught them on the most about how to walk and live in faith. And so this morning, uh, I want to start a, a new sermon series. And I want to give you the title of the sermon series because I think it's important uh, that you have it because when we begin to talk about what we're going to talk about today, I need you to understand the premise of where we're coming from. 
So the title of today's sermon series, the entire series over the next couple of weeks is about how to live supernaturally in a season of fear and panic. How to live supernaturally in a season of fear and panic. And if you don't think we're in a season of fear and panic, then I don't know where you have been. And I'm not just talking about fear and panic coming from those who don't believe. It is amazing if you begin to watch the language that comes out of the mouth of believers, those who say they know God, those who say they love God. If you begin to look at their actions, if you begin to look at the language that comes out of their mouth, people are in great fear. They are in great panic. They are in panic because of, of, of economic crisis. They're in panic because of who is in leadership. They don't feel like they're doing a good job to lead this pandemic. People are, are, are saying things that are agreeing with the world that clearly go against what the word of God is saying. And so I, I started talking to, my, to, to myself and just saying that as believers and as a pastor, uh, and my obligation, obviously, I always feel is, is, to the, is to the people who I pastor first. But globally, I believe that, you know, this message will go out and it will encourage other people because we cannot, as believers, live in a season of fear and panic and live like everybody else. And so as a result of that, what I want to talk about today, today's message, I want to, it's entitled Defending Against Doubt and Unbelief. Defending against doubt and unbelief. In essence, I want to encourage you this morning not to be an unbelieving believer. I want to encourage you not to be a person who on one hand says you serve the God of the universe, but on the other hand, you're panicking about how you're going to be taken care of financially. You're panicking about whether there are going to be enough rations. You're panicking about 5G technology. You're panicking about whether or not you're going to get your stimulus check. You're panicking about whether you don't qualify for a stimulus check. I need you to be a person who is a believing believer and not a person who is an unbelieving believer. Because it is going to be imperative over the next several months that you root and ground yourself in the word of God. Because the word of God is the thing that's going to keep us anchored. And I need you to be anchored because the winds are going to come. I'm telling you, things may get worse before they get better. Uh, I would love to come on here and tell you that everything's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. It's going to go away in a week. I have no idea how long this, this new way of living is going to last. But what I do know is that the same God that we served in January is the same God we're serving today in April. And he'll be the same God we're serving in August. And the same God who could provide for us in January is the same God who's going to provide for us in April. He's going to be the same God providing for us in August. So I need you not to panic and not to fear like the rest of the world. I need you to be an anchor for the world and to be a believing believer. All right. So let's get into today's message, defending against doubt and unbelief. <clears throat> Hear me when I say this. I don't care how long you have been saved. I don't care what position you may hold in the church. I don't care about what title you may have. I don't care how prestigious of a family you may have matriculated from. I don't care how many degrees you currently have or are currently working on. I don't care about how much money uh, you have in your bank account. 
It doesn't matter about any of that. Every single one of us has the possibility of becoming subject to fear, to doubt, and to unbelief. And I'm telling you this because I don't want you to get to the place that when I start talking about doubt and unbelief, you start thinking about your neighbor. You start thinking about your family members. I want you to start right now today, even if you have no fear, even if you have no doubt or you have no unbelief, I want you to listen to this lesson so that you can fortify yourself so that when the storms of life come in this season of fear and panic, you don't become one of those people who are in fear and one of those people who are panicking. Hear me when I say this. No one is immune to doubt and unbelief. No one is immune to doubt and unbelief trying to creep into your life. You and I must understand that we have an adversary. And that adversary's job is to get you and I to disagree in our thinking with the word of God. The, the Once you're born again, if you're born again out there, listen, the enemy can't stop you. He cannot stop you. What God has done for you in this new generation, of, this new regeneration of your life, the enemy can't stop you. What he can do, though, is get you to agree with him. And what he's trying to do is to get you to agree with all of the fear and all the panic that is in the world. So that same fear and that same panic can come into your life. But as a believer, you have the ability to decide what you believe. If you, if, if, what you have to understand is that because, because no one is immune to this, then we all must be prepared for this. So the key is knowing how to handle doubt and unbelief when it comes your way. That's what I want to talk about this morning. How do we handle doubt and fear uh, or doubt and unbelief when it comes our way? Because it will come your way. Fear and doubt and unbelief will try to creep into your life. And the key becomes, how do I defend against it? Because the people tell you all the time, defense wins championships. It's not offense that wins championships. It's defense that wins championships. So what is the defense that we need in order to stay winning in this game of life? So real quick, let's define then a couple of words here because I believe I'm a teacher and I believe that when you start to teach a lesson, people need to be on the same page about what we're talking about. So let's define the words doubt and let's define the word unbelief. Doubt is defined as a feeling of uncertainty or a lack of conviction. Okay, it's a feeling of uncertainty. When, I, when I'm doubting something, I, I'm not convicted about it. I don't know whether it's true or whether it's not. Doubt is also what, what, what the Bible calls in James 1 and 8 to be double-minded. And of course, we all know that the scripture says in James 1 and 8 that to be double-minded or a double-minded man is, is basically unstable in all of his ways. It goes on to say, uh, let no man thinketh uh, that he shall receive anything from God if he's in this doubtful state or if he's in this double-minded state. So when we start to talk about doubt today, we're talking about that, that, that part of you who trust and believe God, but, but, but you don't really know. And so while you're saying you're trusting and believing God, you're also saying some other stuff that goes against what God has said. And so when we talk about doubt, we're talking about a feeling of uncertainty and a lack of conviction. The Passion trans, Translation says this with John 1 and 8. It says, when you are half-hearted and wavering, it leaves you unstable. And then it asks a question. It says, can you really expect to receive anything from the Lord 
when you are in that condition. And here's what I want to say to you. There are some things supernaturally that we are believing God for in this season. And can you honestly say that you are expecting God to do the supernatural in your life if you're in a period of doubt where you are uncertain about whether God can do the supernatural? And that is the reason it's so important for us to learn how to defend against doubt and unbelief. So we define doubt. Now let's define unbelief. Unbelief is defined as skepticism or an absence of faith, an absence of faith. Now, let me explain what I mean when I say an absence of faith. We believe that faith begins where the will of God is known. That in order for you to be in faith for something, you have to know what God has said about it. See, when you got born again, you got born again because you asked Jesus to come into your life and to forgive you of all of your sins. You had to have a word that Jesus would do that. And, and, and you either got the word because you read it in the Bible or you got the word because the word was preached to you. But once you heard that word, once you got that word, once you understood that if you confess Jesus as Lord, if you confess that he is the son of God, if you confess that he died and rose again three days later and that all of your sins, past, present and future were forgiven because of that, then you could ask Jesus to save you. You had faith to do it. And, and, and that's why we say all the time that faith begins where the will of God is known. And so to be in unbelief is to be skeptical or to have an absence of a word from God. And so the per for the purpose of today's teaching, what we're going to say, we're going to simplify this and we're going to simply say that doubt and unbelief are both believing anything other than what God has said about a situation. Doubt and unbelief are both when we believe something other than what God has said about a situation. Amen. Again, let me be clear. You can believe in Jesus. Okay. You can believe in Jesus, but still not believe what he says. It is possible to say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but then read something Jesus says and not believe what he says. What you must understand is that when you do that, you literally are not believing in the person in the sense that they have the power to bring to pass what they have promised. So you can believe that Jesus is Lord. You can believe that he is your savior. You can believe that he died. You can believe that he was raised from the dead. You can believe that he's coming back again. But if you do not believe in what he says, then not only do you discount the statement, you actually discount the person as well. And it's important for you to understand that because when you begin to ask God to do things in your life and then you start to discount what his word says he would do, in essence, you are not believing that he will actually do it. And that's an important distinction. And, and, and the reason it's important is because that kind of thinking, it is grievous to God. It, 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 and I'm going to show you today in the word how that's grievous to God. In fact, the Bible calls a heart that believes in Jesus, but not in his word. It calls it an evil heart or a hardened heart. In fact, in, the, in Hebrews chapter three, verse 12 through 14, it, it, it reads like this. It says, take heed, brethren. It says, lest there be any, lest there be in any of you 
an evil heart of unbelief. Look what he called unbelief. He called unbelief evil, an evil heart of unbelief. What, what does the word evil really mean? The word evil uh, means to be twisted, okay? The word twisted is, 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 is it comes from a word that, we, that you may be familiar with, uh, the word wicker. Now, if you're, if you're familiar with the word wicker, wicker is like wicker furniture. And, and some of y'all grew up and your grannies had some wicker furniture. It used to be a, a, a really big thing. And they had wicker furniture. And what wicker furniture was, it was furniture that was, that was small pieces of, of, of wood that was twisted. And it was twisted in such a degree that it became so hard and so sturdy. And so what the Bible says, the Bible says we got to take heed that we don't have unbelief in us. Because what unbelief does is it makes our heart hard and twisted. And when our heart is hard and twisted, nothing can get in or out of it. And so when God is trying to speak to our heart, if we have unbelief there, that heart becomes hardened and we can't receive what God is trying to tell us. And so no matter how good God is trying to be to us, we don't allow God to be good to us because we have that unbelief that has petrified our hearts. He says, take heed, brethren. He says, let's be, in any of you, let's be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. He says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. He says, least that any of you become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we, watch this, are made, you and I are made partakers of Christ if, that's a conditional statement. How do we become partakers of Christ? If we hold, watch this, the beginning of our confidence steadfast when? Until the end. Don't miss that. He says, how do you become a partaker of Christ? That you believe and that you keep believing from beginning to end. That's how you partake of the supernatural. That's how you partake of, of your salvation, that you continue to believe in your salvation from the time you received it until you leave this earth. No condition can take you out of God's hands. Why? Because the Bible says that you and I were born of an incorruptible seed. What does that mean? That means that if a seed is incorruptible, it can't be corrupted. So when you and I were born again, we were born of something that does not have the ability to be corrupted. So my mistakes don't corrupt it. Uh, me having money don't corrupt it. Me not having money don't corrupt it. Me getting angry doesn't corrupt it. Uh, whenever I blow it, it doesn't corrupt it. And so the only way that I stop being a partaker of what Jesus has done in my life is that I lose the confidence of what he's done. The Bible says that in order for me to be a partaker, all I have to do is to, to remain in the confidence from beginning to end. Listen, right now in your comment section, I want you to type this. I will remain. I will remain. I will remain what? Confident in what? What God has done in my life. In the midst of COVID-19, the same God who I was serving last year is the same God I got the confidence in. I got, I got confidence in God, whether it's COVID-19. I got, I got confidence in God, whether it's SARS, whether it's Ebola. No plague is going to make me 
think that somehow God is still not in control. And if you're out there this morning and you agree with that statement, you ought to like that, you ought to heart that, you ought to tag somebody, tell them come listen to this, because what we're about to get into, I am going to show you how to simplify, how to simply uh, guard and defend against doubt and unbelief. Listen, I so love the Passion Translation. I read the Passion Translation in the New King, the, the New Living Translation most of the time when I'm reading because it just illuminates um, what God is saying to me. The Passion Translation in Hebrews 3, 12 and 14 says this. It says, so search your hearts every single day and make sure that none of you has evil or unbelief hiding in you. See, it's possible for you to not even know you have unbelief in you. Listen, I'm I'm not I'm not glad that that we are as a world and as a nation are facing COVID-19. Not at all. What I am glad about is that it is showing us in our own hearts what we really believe. It is giving us an opportunity to say, wait a minute, when things were going great, when I when my job was when I was working my job, I could go to Walmart and get what I need. I didn't have to stay in the house. I could do all the things I wanted to do. Oh man, I was really believing God. But the moment trouble comes, trouble reveals to you what's really in your heart. And in the Passion Translation says we need to be checking every single day to make sure we don't have some evil or unbelief hiding within us. The Bible says, for it will lead us astray and it will make us unresponsive to the living God. Do you see what doubt and unbelief does? It makes you unresponsive to God. When you have doubt and unbelief in your heart, it makes you unresponsive. It, it works that way in the, in the natural. If you do not trust someone, if you do not believe someone, if you don't have confidence in someone and that person tells you they're going to do something, you are not as responsive to them as you would be to someone who you have great trust in. In fact, if someone tells you, hey, I'm going to come and pick you up at 6 p.m. and I'm going to take you to work. If they have a history of showing up at 530 in order to get you to work by 6, you are looking for them at 530. But if you got some friends who are always late to everything that they go to, they always late to everything that they're supposed to show up for, and they tell you they're going to pick you up at six, and it's important for you to be to work by six o'clock, and you know that they don't have a history of showing up on time, more than likely you are going to be unresponsive to them, and you are going to be looking for a plan B. Let me help you. When you are looking for a plan B, it's because you have no confidence in plan A. When it comes to God, God is your plan A. God has never been late. He has never been tardy. He has always been right on time. Even if you didn't think the timing was right, it was right because when God shows up, the timing is right. He says, this is the time, I love this, to encourage each other, to never be stubborn or hardened by sin's deceitfulness. It says, for we are mingled, that's that word partaker, we are mingled with the Messiah, if we continue, how? I love the Passion Translation. It says, unshaken in this confident assurance from the beginning until the end. I am telling you, church, the only way that we're going to see the supernatural power of God operating in the lives of believers is that we get to a place where we are not unshaken. 
We've got to stop waiting for, for calamity to come and then asking God for signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are great, but we ought to be living based on God's word. I'm going to show you how important that is. And don't get me wrong. I believe in signs and wonders. The Bible says signs and wonders shall follow them that believe. But I'm going to show you that the true pinnacle of faith is when you can get a word from God and stand on that word no matter whatever else is going on around you and no matter how long it takes. Now, this may sound a bit esoteric, but the truth of the matter is, is that when we begin to talk about people in the body of Christ, we have a whole lot of unbelieving believers. We have a whole lot of people who say they believe something, but when you look at their actions, when you look at their words, you can tell they don't really believe what they say they believe. Why is that important? Because the Bible says that it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It is what comes out of a man that defiles him. And the Bible tells us that if you want to see manifestation, all you have to have is two things, a heart and a mouth agreement. And most of the people, because they don't do what Hebrews told us, they're not checking every day to see if they have unbelief in their heart. They just live their life and they love God and they believe in God and they believe in Jesus and they want the Holy Spirit and all of those things. But when trouble comes, they begin to say what's really in their heart. And when you have a heart and a mouth agreement, you always have manifestation. So people wonder why they get all of these negative things happening in their life. Because the truth of the matter is, that is what is deeper in their heart. Deep in their heart, they don't think they're going to have enough money to make it. Deep in their heart, they do think they're going to contact COVID-19. Deep in their heart, they do think that something negative is going to come out of all of this. And because they have that deep in their heart, they slip up and let their mouth say what's in their heart. And then they have a twofold agreement, a heart agreement and a mouth agreement. And then they get manifestation and wonder why all this bad stuff is happening. I want to teach you how to defend against doubt and unbelief so that you don't allow it in your heart and more importantly, you don't allow it out of your mouth. We can look at Mark chapter 9 when Jesus' disciples couldn't cast a demon out of a man's young son to see how important believing really is. See, this, this idea of unbelieving believers is not a new phenomenon. Why? Jesus was with his disciples. They, they, they were physically with Jesus, yet at times doubt and unbelief got into their life and they became unbelieving believers. How do I know? Because if we look at Mark chapter 9, we see what happens. We see that there was a man who had a son and that man's son was, the Bible says he was grievously vexed with the devil. And Jesus' disciples had been trying to cast the demon out of the young boy. Uh, and the man had become so uh, exacerbated by the fact that they couldn't do it. When Jesus shows up, the man actually says to Jesus, and, and here's, here's what you got to get, because I don't want you to, to just think these are Bible stories. I want you to find yourself in the word. When I read the Bible, I want to find myself in the word because I don't want to find myself lacking. And so when you read this story in, in, in Mark chapter 9, you find out that when Jesus finally shows up on the scene, the man says something uh, to Jesus that, that, that is, you can tell how, how distraught and exacerbated he was. He says, 
He, he knew it was the Christ because he, he knew who Jesus' disciples was and, and, he, and he knew who their, who, their, who their teacher was. And he says to Jesus, he says, if you can do anything, he says, take pity on us and have mercy. Now, now watch this. He says, if, if you can do anything. Here's how you know when you have doubt and unbelief in your heart. When you start praying, Lord, if you can do it. Lord, if you can do anything in my life. Lord, if you'll move. Lord, if you're able to. God, if you just. Listen, I believe with everything in me that when that man said to Jesus, if you can do anything, Jesus in, in, in his mind had to have been like, what, what do you mean if? If I can do anything. If I can do, if I can do it, and how do I know that that had to be Jesus's internal response? Because look at his outward response to the man. Here's what he says in his outward response. He says, it's not if I can do anything. He says, it's if you can believe anything. He says, because if you can believe anything, then anything is possible to you. And I'm telling you, you need to quit asking God if he can do it and start asking yourself, do you believe he can do it? Because if you believe God can do it, then all things are possible for you. The Bible says that Jesus then healed the man. But after he healed the man, the Bible says that he turned to his disciples and he called them faithless. Why did, he be called, why did he call them faithless? Because they were looking at all of the external things that that demon was doing in the boy's life. And as a result of that, they weren't believing that what was on the inside of them or who, what they had been taught gave them the power to exercise those demons out of them. Listen, some of you, and, and don't get mad at me because we're all guilty of it at some point in time, are just like those disciples. We look at external circumstances to determine whether or not God can do something in our life. We need a bill to be paid. The bill is $50. We believe God for a $50 bill being paid. But we get an unexpected bill, our car breaks down, our transmission goes out, and the bill is now $2,500. Now, watch this. The same God who gave you the 50 is the same God who can give you the 2500 The only difference is how you see it. The only difference is how you see it. And that's what Jesus was trying to get the man to understand. It's not if I can do anything. Jesus was like, I know I can do it. The question is, do you believe? Because if you can believe, then all things are possible to you. Here's the thing I like, though. When you read that story in Mark chapter 9, at the end, what the man says to Jesus, and he says it as honestly as he possibly can. He says, Lord, I believe. But what? But help my unbelief. There is nothing wrong with saying, God, I believe you, but I know there are some things in me that rise up when trouble comes that makes me question. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Now, I'm going to skip to the end and tell you how God helps your unbelief. He helps your unbelief by you becoming more acquainted with his word. You are not going to get more acquainted with his word if you don't spend time in his word. It's the reason that we say to people all the time, you got to love the word. You got to love reading the word. You got to love hearing the word. You got to love studying the word. You got to love the word because the word and Jesus are one. And the more you study the word, the more you read the word, the more acquainted you get with the word and the more confidence you have in the word and the more confidence you have in the 
word, the more you can stand on the word when trouble comes. And that is why Jesus loved what the man said. He said, Lord, I believe, but I need you to help me in my unbelief. I need you to help me in the things that's, that's causing me to doubt whether this can be done. I, 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 I'm seeing all of these external things. I, 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 my five senses are in overload. I can see it. I can hear it. I can taste it. I can smell it. I can touch it. And it all goes contrary to what you're saying. God, help my unbelief. And the way God does that is by telling you to get in the word. What do you mean? That means sometimes you got to turn the TV off. Sometimes you got to turn the radio off. Sometimes you got to put the good, the good book down. And I don't mean the good book. I mean the book that you're reading that you're so fascinated with. Sometimes you got to stop being in so many groups and so many social settings. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes you got to get away and you got to get in the word so that it can build you up. I like what Pastor Ralph said on, on Wednesday night. He says, faith is a muscle. And if you don't exercise that muscle before you know it, it will do what they call aphotry. It will go away. It will, it will shrivel up. And some of you, you ain't worked out your faith muscle in days, in weeks, in months, in years. And I'm telling you that if you will begin to work out that faith muscle, you begin to get in the word, doubt and unbelief will get pushed out of your life. Again, Mark 9, 23 says, if you can believe, then all things are possible to you. If you can believe, all things are possible to you. If you can tap into all things being possible, then you tap into the realm of living in the supernatural. If you can tap into this thing that there is nothing too hard for God, it pushes you to live in the realm of the supernatural. And that is the realm that God has called for all of us to live in. This realm where impossibilities become possible. In fact, go ahead and say that in the comment section. Say all impossibilities are possible with God. All impossibilities are are possible with God. Listen, if you're liking what we're talking about so far, go ahead and click the heart, click the like. Listen, if I've said something to you and you've agreed with it and you want to sow into it, the link is there at the bottom. Uh, I'm going to take a drink of water real quick uh, and we're going to get right back into this because I want to show you how to defend against doubt and unbelief. Pastor Sean said, I did not ask you where you were from. And so right now we'll take a, a, a short break and you can type in there. I'll take another drink of water and you can tell us where you are from. Let me say this. I do know that we have another 150 additional people who clicked the like page since last Sunday. If you are new and you are first time viewer, and I can't see all those comments, uh, but if you are first time viewer, uh, let us know that too. And welcome and thank you for being here. Uh, we are excited to have you. I'm excited about what I'm about to share because we're going to talk here uh, and I want to illustrate uh, somebody in the Bible for you and show you uh, how we can defend against doubt and unbelief. Uh, people in my church, they laugh because Pastor Sean, I say all the time, she is both a preacher and a teacher. She can, I call it treat. She can treat real good. She a preacher and she a teacher. For me, I'm not really a preacher. I am a teacher. And what I mean by that is I like to walk people through scripture. Because if I walk you through scripture, 
Uh, it is hard for you uh, to say whether or not you believe that because I said it. And so I, I'm going to take a, a few more minutes before we get off this broadcast. And I want to walk you through a couple of things. And then I'm going to end by giving you four simple things you can do today to, to defend and safeguard against doubt and unbelief. Okay. So again, tell us where you're from. If you're new, tell us that you're new. If this is your first time watching, uh, we, we appreciate you being here this morning and we're going to get back into uh, this word. Amen. All right. So here is, here is what I believe is the first key in learning how to defend against doubt and unbelief. The Bible tells us so clearly in 1 Peter 5 and 8, it says, it tells us to be alert, to be clear and to be sober minded. It tells us to be watchful because you and I have an adversary. Uh, in fact, one translation says we have a great enemy and that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking anyone he can devour or attack. That's 1 Peter 5 and 8. It says we have an adversary. He's prowling around. He's acting like this big bad lion and he's looking for anyone he can devour or attack. And when I used to read that scripture early, early in my Christian life, I kind of got scared because I was like, man, the devil's just out there. He's just waiting to jump on us. He's just waiting to attack us. He's just waiting to get us. And, and, and it almost created this fear of the devil. Hear me when I say this. The devil ain't got nothing on you, okay? The devil ain't got nothing on you. If you are a born-again believer, the, the, the devil already knows he's defeated. The only thing he can do is get you to come to his side by agreeing with him. That's how he devours you. That's how he attacks you by getting you to discount and discredit what God has said and to agree with what he is saying. And so the Bible says, you know, don't, don't, don't worry about the, the devil, but at the same time, be alert, be sober minded, be watchful because, because we do have an adversary. And, and if you get away from God's word, that adversary can whoop you. But as long as you are in God's word, that particular adversary, this, this devil that, that, that's out there, he cannot defeat you. He cannot uh, overcome you. He cannot uh, make you submit. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The problem is, is he's trying to get the greater that is in you out of you by having you think differently than what you first believed. That's why Hebrews again tells us we have to believe from the beginning to the end. We have to be steadfast. It is true that the devil is no match for the born again believer. But let's be very clear here. Even though the devil is no match for you, we are warned not to get high minded. We are warned not to get to the place where we just think that, 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 that doubt and unbelief can't creep in, that we are so spiritual, that we are so deep, that we are so anointed, that we are so gifted, that we are so called, that nothing can get into our lives to ever make us question what God has said. The Bible says, don't be that way. It says, be sober, be alert, and to be watchful. Another scripture the Apostle Paul tells us is in Romans 12 and 3. It's one of my wife's favorite scriptures. It says to every man, 
not to think more highly of himself than he ought to. And that's important. It didn't say don't think highly of yourself. It says don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. In other words, don't get to the place where you think you have so arrived that the enemy doesn't have the ability to be cunning and deceitful and try to slide doubt and unbelief into your life. Because the truth of the matter is every single day, whether you're on your job or not, he's going to be on his job. And his job is to get you to stop believing God. But your job is to keep believing God. And as long as you are on your job, your job will always be greater than what he is doing in your life. Amen. You ought to put that in the comment section. Say, I will stay on my job. I will stay on my job. I will keep believing. I will keep trusting. I will keep honoring God's word. Now, if you study the word of God diligently, what you will find is that even the greatest men and women of God uh, recorded in the Bible had to deal with doubt and unbelief. And this is the crux of where this message is going today. I want us to take a look at a man named John the Baptist. And many of you know the story of John the Baptist. Uh, many of you know uh, uh, how his beginning and his end. But I want us to take a look at this because I believe that Jesus gives us some keys on how to defend against what I believe is the number one tool in the devil's arsenal, which is to cause us to doubt, to distrust, or not to believe God's word. Now, many of you, I'm sure, as I said, you're familiar with John the Baptist. Many of you know that John the Baptist and Jesus were actually related. Many of you know that Jesus' mother, Mary, uh, was first cousins to John's mother, uh, Elizabeth, which technically makes Jesus and John the Baptist uh, second cousins. They, they, had, they had a relationship. Uh, many of you may not know that Jesus said something uh, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, that I think really sets apart the relationship that he had with John the Baptist. And I want to read it to you. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus says this. He says, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of woman, one translation actually says throughout all of history, it says, there hath not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Now, that's a pretty big statement to make. Jesus says, out of all the people that have been born, out of all the people that have come up, no one had been greater than John the Baptist. That means that John the Baptist, in the sight of Jesus, was greater than Abraham, than, than Isaac, than Joseph, than Moses, or David, or any Old Testament character you can name. That means that Jesus had some uh, some some all with John the Baptist. Yet if you know anything about John the Baptist, you will also know that he is probably most famous for the fact that near the end of his life, he actually started to question the one thing that he should have never had reason to question, and that was if, if Jesus was really the Messiah. Now, 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 now pause for just a moment. Because I don't have time to go through this entire story with you and walk you through this. I wish I did. So what I want to do is just hit some of the highlights so I can get to the part where Jesus responds to John the Baptist. So I can show you how Jesus responds to us in today's time and how you can defend against doubt and unbelief. Here's what happened. 
John the Baptist uh, was, was, was the forerunner for Christ, okay? The Bible tells us that he was set apart, that he was consecrated, that, that he even was endowed with the Holy Spirit in his womb. The Bible says that when he was born, he was set apart. Uh, Elizabeth gave him to a, a group of people called the Essenes, and you can go back and look at that later, but it was the same group of people who, in essence, wrote what we know as the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were a group of legalistic, uh, uh, dogmatic people who, who lived out scripture every single day. They were people who, who lived in a place of, of, of self-denial. They didn't have a lot of luxuries. Uh, their whole job was to get people ready for the Messiah. And the Bible says that John the Baptist uh, became so famous that literally people came from all over, from, from different countries, all over the place to hear John preach the words, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he was talking about Jesus was coming. He had, he had read all the books of Isaiah. He knew all the prophecies. He knew everything that was going to happen. But the Bible says that there came a time that John the Baptist began to speak out against King Herod. And when he began to speak out against King Herod, because King Herod had married his sister, it was an incestuous relationship. And so John the Baptist began to speak out about it. The Bible says that King Herod put him in jail. And he was in jail, and depending on uh, which scholars you study, they say he was in jail from anywhere from six months to two years. And, and during that time, John the Baptist became uh, despondent. He became discouraged. Uh, he became depressed. Uh, and, 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 and you all know how that goes. I mean, we're in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic, and we can't get most of y'all to stay home for a week. Uh, and so you, you know how it is when you can't go to Walmart, when you can't go see your friends, when you can't uh, go to happy hour, when you can't go to a restaurant. And now imagine if that's what six months to two years, some of y'all would have lost y'all mind. All right, I digress. Let's talk about John the Baptist. He, he was sad. He was depressed. And so he did something that, that, that's almost, almost unbelievable. He called his disciples to him. And John said to his disciples, he said, listen, I need y'all to do something for me. He said, I need y'all to go and ask this Jesus if he is really the Christ. Now, now think about that for a moment. He, he spent 30 years of his life preparing for somebody else to have a six-month ministry. His whole life was dedicated to being a forerunner for Jesus Christ to come into the world and to save the world. But after six months or maybe even up to two years, the Bible says he became despondent, depressed and discouraged. And he had his disciples to actually go and ask Jesus, are you really the Christ? Are you really the Messiah? Now, when you read this, it is so easy for us to go, oh my God, I cannot believe John would do something like that. What is wrong with John? John done lost his mind. I can't believe John asked Jesus if he really is the Christ. Hold on a second. 
because the reality of it is some of us do the exact same thing and could change our name to John. How, why do you say that, Pastor? Because whenever God gives us a word, we're so excited about it. We're telling people about it. This is my year of great harvest. This is my best year yet. God is bringing me out. I'm going to be living in this. I'm the head, not the tail. I'm living in the lap of luxury. God is my beginning. I ain't never going to leave God. And then COVID-19 hit me. What we going to do? God, are you still the Christ? God, are you really the one? God, I don't know what I'm going to do if I lose this job. They're going to shut down the business. I don't know what I'm going to do. Stop it, John. Stop it, John. You're talking about John the Baptist because of doubt and unbelief, but we do the exact same thing. Because when you question whether or not God is who he said he is, when he gave you the word, you're doing the same thing that John the Baptist did. Here's what's so important about this. Because the disciples actually go to Jesus. They actually do what John. Now, now, I don't know about you. Now, now you can say what you want to. Now, if, if, if I don't care what happened in this world. If somebody tell me right now, I got to go in my prayer closet and ask Jesus if he really is the Christ. I'll be like, yo, dog, I can't do that. That, 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 that ain't me. That ain't me. But his disciples went because they were despondent too. They was like, our, our leader spent 30 years preparing for this man, Jesus. This man, Jesus, is out here free, and, and, and we got our leader in prison. He'd been in prison for six months. He'd been in prison for two years. We out here without a leader. What are we supposed to do? Let's go ask this Jesus if he really is the Christ. Let's go ask this Jesus if he really is the Messiah, because if he's not the Messiah, we need to know so that we can look for another one. And so the Bible says, that the, the disciple, that the John's disciples went to Jesus. Now, these are the same disciples who was with John when John was out in the wilderness preaching in, in John chapter one, verse 29, when he was saying, behold, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. This is what came out of John's mouth when he saw Jesus. The Bible says Jesus was coming to him in by the, by the Jordan River. And he said, behold, he says, look, everybody, this man right here is the Lamb of God. He is the one who come to take away the sins of the world. And two years later, he's asking, but are you really the Messiah? Are you really the Christ? Are you really, though? I mean, are you God or are you not God? Because the, the God I know wouldn't have me in prison. The God I know wouldn't have me going through this. The God I know wouldn't allow COVID-19. The God I know wouldn't let my business shut down. The God I know wouldn't let my car break down. The God I know, you understand what I'm saying? And some of you are just like John. You're in that period where you believed God, but now doubt and unbelief has creeped into your life. Listen, understand this. It, it, it can't, the, the Bible says... That, that, that John was going to have clear evidence of knowing who the Messiah was. The Bible says that, uh, that, that, that John was going to know who the Messiah was because an audible voice had told him that he would see the Spirit of God descend down on the Messiah like a dove. 
You know the story. The Bible says that, 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 that Jesus came to John at the Jordan River and, and he asked John to baptize him. And John knew it was the Messiah. He says, no, no, no. He says, I have need to be baptized by you. He says, I am not even worthy to stoop down in the mud and tie your shoes. He says, I'm not even worthy to, to do that. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I need you to baptize me because we need prophecy to be fulfilled. And John immediately knew what that prophecy was. And so the Bible says that John then baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. And when he baptizes him in the Jordan River, he raises him up. The Bible says heaven opens and an audible voice says, this is my beloved son in who I am well pleased. And then scripture gets fulfilled because the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. At that moment, John the Baptist unequivocally knew who Jesus was. He had no doubt who Jesus was. He, in fact, there's a scripture that says, this day, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing and in your seeing. John the Baptist knew for a fact that that man who he baptized himself was the Christ. But because of life circumstances, two years later, he sent his disciples to ask that same man, but are you really the Christ? Are you really the Messiah? I'm saying he had zero doubt about that. He certainly knew that he was the Christ. But then you get into this place where, the, the, where, where, where John's disciples get to Jesus. And they come to Jesus and they ask Jesus the question. They say, hey, our teacher, John the Baptist, wants to know, are you really the Christ? And here's what I want you to get out of this lesson. I want you to see how Jesus responds to them. Jesus tells John's disciples two things. He tells John's disciples, he says, he, he, he didn't take a long time. He didn't get offended. You know, some of y'all get offended. People ask you, you know, if you really can't do something, you get offended. But, but Jesus says to them, he says, they come and they say, John wants to know, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the Christ? And then Jesus says to them, you go tell John this. He didn't say, I'm the Messiah. He didn't say, I can't believe you questioning me. He said, I can't believe that you would even have the gall. He didn't call him into remembrance about being at the Jordan River, saying, you know, you didn't remember hearing my father say, this is my beloved son and who I'm well pleased. Remember how the Holy Spirit came down on me? He didn't do any of that. He said two things. He said, go and tell John about all the miracles that you are seeing. He says, and then tell John that he will be blessed if he keep believing. Now, let me pause for a minute. Because when I first heard this and I first studied this years ago, I thought, man, that's all Jesus had to say? He said, go, go, go back and tell your leader, tell your, tell your teacher, all of these miracles you've been seeing me do. You've been walking with me for a while. You've been, you've been trying to build up the courage to ask me if I'm the Messiah. Go back and tell John, everything you've seen. He says, and also tell John, he will be blessed. What does that word blessed mean? Empowered to prosper. He says, tell John he will be empowered to prosper if, if 
He will keep believing. Remember what Hebrews said? You believe from the beginning to the end. He says, tell him he will be blessed. And for years, I could not understand why in the world Jesus would just say those two things. Because if you keep reading the story, you find out that after the disciples leave, Jesus starts saying all this great stuff about John. He's like, John is anointed. John is great. No one is greater than John. I'm like, why didn't he say all of that stuff when the disciples were there? So the disciples could have went back and the disciples could have told John everything Jesus said and John could have been comforted. I was like, why didn't Jesus just do that? And then one day I was reading something in the book of Isaiah. Stay with me for another five minutes and you'll catch this. Isaiah chapter 35. I was reading one day and after I read Isaiah 35, it was like a light came on. And you know, when you get revelation about something, it's almost like, how did I never know that? Let me show you something. Isaiah 35. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5 and 6. Here's what it says. And I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation. It says, and when Jesus comes, he will open the eyes of the blind. He will unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will jump up like deer. And those who cannot speak will be able to sing for joy. It says springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams of water will be in the desert. I'm reading that and I'm thinking, wait a minute. That's in the book of Isaiah. That means that John the Baptist had read that before. It means that John the Baptist knew that those particular things that was in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5 and 6, could only be done by the Messiah. So Jesus didn't spend time trying to convince them of who he was. All he did was tell John's disciples to go back to what he knew about the word of God. And I am telling you that in times of great stress, in times when you are despondent, in times when you are discouraged, in times when you feel beat down, you don't need somebody to give you an emotional word. You don't need somebody to come and rub you on the back. You don't need somebody to give you a pity party. What you need to do is be directed back to what did God say? And so what Jesus did is he sent his disciples back to John and he said, tell John about all the miracles that you see. Tell John about how we are raising people from the dead. Tell John about how we are healing the lepers. Tell John about how blinded eyes are being opened, how deaf ears are being unstuck, how the, how the, how the people who can't, can't even speak are now singing songs. He says, direct him back to the word. And I am telling you that today's lesson, if you want to learn how to defend against doubt and unbelief, you got to get directed back to the word. I done preached myself happy up in here. Jesus Christ. Listen, you got to direct yourself back to the word. I try to stay calm, but when I read the word, it, it begins to illuminate to me because the day I read that, I thought that is why Jesus sent John's disciples back to him with just those two things. He says, tell him about all the miracles that you're seeing and then tell him if he doesn't quit believing, he'll be blessed. We know the end of the story. John the Baptist ends up dying. He ends up getting beheaded. Why? Because he got a 
offended at that word. Some of you don't get what you need because when God directs you back to the word, you get offended at the word. What you mean you mad at God? How are you mad at a Messiah? How are you mad at the only person who's got your answer? I am telling you, you have got to be a person who fortifies yourself so that when you ask God a question and he directs you back to the word that you don't get offended. Pastor Sean, <laughs> I think it, it's, it's, it's been an hour. I think, I think your, your Instagram went off. I listen, I'm church. Listen, I got to get you to see this. I got to get you to understand this. Isaiah 35 was the key. In Isaiah 35, what he ends up doing is he says, he says, here's what's going to happen. When Jesus comes, he's going to open the eyes of the blind. He's going to unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame are going to jump up like they were deer. He said, those who cannot speak are going to sing for joy and springs of water are going to show up in the desert. All of those things were happening. And as a result of it, he said, you have seen this with your own eyes. Now go back and tell John exactly what is happening because he will know based on that, I am the Messiah. Praise the Lord. I am the Messiah. Somebody ought to just type in the comment section, God is good. God is good. Somebody ought to just type in there, God is good. God is good. Listen, he's going to direct you back to the word. He's always going to direct you back to the word. How do I know? Because if you continue to study this out, you'll find out that in Matthew chapter 11, verse 4 through 6, here's what Jesus says. Jesus answered, and he said unto them, go and show John. Now, remember, Isaiah 35, Jesus wasn't around. It was prophesied in Isaiah 35 of what Jesus would do. When the disciples came to talk to Jesus and said, are you really the Christ? He says, look, go back and tell John this. And here's what he says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 4 through 6. He says, Jesus answered and said unto them, <clears throat> he says, go and show John again <clears throat> those things which you do hear and see. He says, the blind receive their sight. Remember that? He says, the lame are up walking. He says, the lepers are being cleansed. The deaf are hearing. He says, and the dead are raised up. He says, and not just that, but the poor are now having the gospel preached to them. He says, and blessed, empowered to prosper is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. That is the key to overcoming doubt and unbelief, not being offended with the word. Yeah. What does that look like? That means if I am sick and I am wrapped in pain in my body and somebody comes and says, by his stripes, you are healed. I don't get offended at the word. Even if my body is still in pain, even if I can physically feel everything that is going on, I still trust and believe his word. Why? Because empowered to prosper is he that continues to believe and he that does not get offended at his word. Some of you ought to repent right now and say, God, I am sorry for every time I got offended at your word. Every time I ask you to help me and 
you sent me back in the direction of your word and I got angry and upset about it. God, I repent. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I realized the error of my way. You were pointing me back to the word because you wanted my life to be better, not because you didn't care. See, God did not send John's disciples back to him with those two things because he didn't care. He actually sent them back because he wanted John to remember what he knew from the beginning. The Bible says in Isaiah 35 that Jesus is going to do all these things. Jesus tells his disciples, go tell John, you're seeing me do all these things. That is the answer. Am I the Messiah? Heck yeah, I'm the Messiah. But he didn't have to say he was. He says, let me take you back to what you already know. God is trying to take you back to what you already know. And not only that, but I like Jesus. See, see, people say being petty uh, is not Christian-like. But let me show you something. Jesus threw in a little petty. Somebody say, well, Pastor, where did he throw in petty? Because Isaiah 35 listed all these things. Well, in Matthew 11, when, when Jesus began to preach and tell them what to say, he listed all those things. And then he said this. He said, and let him know we're raising the dead, too. He said, yeah, we ain't, we ain't just, un, we're not just unstopping ears. We're not just opening up blind eyes. We're not just making the dumb talk. We are literally getting dead folks up. He said, and those lepers, yeah, we're we taking care of that pandemic. We're taking care of the, the, the pandemic of uh, 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 leprosy. We're taking care of that too. He said, go back and tell John, we're doing all of that. My God. What does God, what, what does God do? <laughs> what does God do when, when, when he needs us to, 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 to defend against doubt and unbelief? He sends us back to the word. He sends us back to the word. He sends us back to the word. Go ahead. I'm going to get a drink of water. Type that in there. Say, he sends me back to the word. He sends me back to the word. He sends me back to the word. That's what he does. He sends me back to the word. See, many, many of you, you got Bibles and notebooks that are anointed. But having an anointed Bible and an anointed notebook don't do you any good. You need to go back and revisit those notes in your Bible. Revisit those notes in your notebook. Revisit what God said to you when things were well. When things get bad, go back and revisit what God said to you when things were well. Why? Because he wants to send you back to the word. He wants to send you back to the word. Overcoming doubt isn't just about feeling better. You know, most of the time what we are looking for, and I tell people often, I am not, uh, I'm not mean. Uh, but when I'm talking to people and people are talking about uh, maybe not trusting or believing God or they're having a hard time, it is not my job as your pastor to pat you on the back and tell you it's okay, I understand your pain. That's not what Jesus did. He, Jesus had opportunity. He could have told John's disciples. He could have said, you know what, go back and tell John I understand what he's going through. I know it's difficult being in prison. Uh, tell him I'm sorry. T t tell him I I'm praying for him. He didn't do any of that stuff. What he did is he sent John's disciples back to John and said, John, remember the word. Remember the word. 
that you spent 30 years preparing for. And do not let doubt and unbelief creep into your heart about what you know to be true. I know God to be a healer. I'm not letting doubt and unbelief creep into my heart. I know God to be a provider. I'm not going to let doubt and unbelief creep into my heart. I know God to be a deliverer. So I'm not going to let doubt and unbelief creep into my heart and try to talk me out of what I know God is. Listen, that is the reason you need to, to have a testimony, your own testimony. You know, Pastor Sean says it all the time, everybody needs their own alabaster box experience. You need your own experience with God. So when the world tries to convince you that he's not the Christ, he's not the Messiah, you can go back to your own experience, to your own word. I remember, we talked about this testimony so many times. I won't do it again today. But I remember years and years ago when God told us, Jordan will speak. At that time, we couldn't even understand anything she was saying. But I'm telling you, that girl is almost 15 years. No, she's she, she's 15. She almost six. She'll be 16 this year. And I'm telling you, she is on grade level. She speaks. We can understand her. She gets sarcasm. All the stuff that they said she would never get because she was on the spectrum. I don't care what goes on in my life. You can't talk me out of who God is because I got my own experience. So when things get bad and when things start to happen and I don't know how they're going to work out, I just go back to the word. I just go back to what he said he would do for Jordan. I just go back to what he said he'd do for our marriage. I just go back to what he said he'd do for me and my life because God's word has never failed. And then I remember he said, Edwin, you'll be blessed if you don't get offended at my word. So if you don't get offended at God's word, we will live in this realm of the supernatural. Amen. We say this all the time. Faith begins where the word of God is known. Faith begins where the word of God is known. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Listen, I know I've gone long. I got to get off of here. But let me just let me, let me give you these couple points. Hang on for just a moment. If you can't click off, you can come back and, and scroll forward to the end and catch this part later. But I got to share this with you. The Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That is the reason you got to get yourself a regimented time frame. And I don't mean regimented time. It's got to be the same time. But you got to be consistent. A time frame of hearing from the Lord. You got to get a time of hearing from the Lord. Let me give you these, these four things. I want to give you four things and then we'll, 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 be, we'll, be, we'll be through. I want to say this. Believing is a choice. You have a choice to believe. The Bible says uh, in Deuteronomy, he says, I place before you life and death, blessings and cursings. He says, now you choose. He says, in the case you don't know which one to choose, choose life. He says, but everything we do in our life, there's going to be an opportunity that we get to choose from. And so let me give you these four things that you need to do every single day in order to defend against doubt and unbelief. Let me give you these four things and then I'm going to get out of here because I've been too long already. Number one, if you want to defend against doubt and unbelief, stop overthinking. Stop overthinking. When God gives you a word, that is all you need. Stop overthinking. If you're the type of person 
who is always constantly jumping to negative conclusions. If you're always allowing your mind to run with all the what ifs and all the what could be's, make the decision to stop doing that today. If God says, I'm going to see you on the other side, just know you're going to end up on the other side. Stop overthinking. God's promises rarely make sense to us. If, if, if they made perfect sense to us, they wouldn't be God. So stop overthinking things. Never underestimate that if God gives you a word, he already has a plan to cause that word to come to pass. So number one, stop overthinking what God has said and just learn to believe. Number two, spend time recalling what God has done before. That's what Jesus was trying to get John to do. He was trying to get John to recall the word that he knew was true. So spend time rehearsing. People say, man, you and Pastor Sean share that testimony about how God got y'all a house. Y'all sure share that testimony about how God blessed Jordan. You sure share that testimony about how God uh, repaired and, 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 and did great things in your marriage. Yeah, we spend time rehearsing those testimonies because it reminds us of what God did. Because if God did it before, guess what? God will do it again. So number two, you got to recall what God has done before. And then number three, learn to block out negativity. Number three, block out negativity. If you're one of those people who get overwhelmed by the news cycle, stop watching the news cycle. Stop watching. I mean, I'm not, I'm not telling you to be uh, ignorant because, because you think ignorance is bliss, but, but you don't have to spend eight hours a day hearing about the COVID numbers. Yes, they're going up. Yes, they're probably going to get bigger before they start to go down because scientifically people aren't doing what's necessary to flatten the curve. And if you have a virus that is contagious and people keep coming in contact with that virus and they're, and, 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 and they, they're not doing the proper things, even the natural things that we should be doing to not contract it, the numbers are probably going to continue to go up. But you don't have to allow that to be something that terrifies you. You can block out that negativity. Listen, if you spend all your time on social media and social media uh, overwhelms you, uh, I, I literally had to get all the conspiracy theories off my timeline. I just got tired of seeing all the, the various conspiracy theories about why this is happening and, and, and people saying things like, well, you know, this is God's doing. Uh, you know, this ain't God's doing. This ain't no more God's doing than Ebola was, than SARS was, than slavery was. We live in the earth and God gives man free will. And because man has free will, man do dumb stuff. And when man do dumb stuff, we get dumb results. This has nothing to do with God doing something because of an unrighteous nation about abortion or homosexuality or all of the other crazy conspiracy theories that people are talking about. But if you can't handle all that, block them, baby. Just block them. That block button, that 30 day snooze button, it's amazing. Clean up your timeline. Number three, block out the negativity. And then number four is what my spiritual mom used to say to us all the time. Only believe. Number four, only believe. Once you get a word from God, confer no longer with flesh and blood. Whatever God has said to you, Believe it. Let that be superior. Let that be the preeminent thing in your life. Let God's word supersede everything else that is going on. No matter what 
believe only. Why? Because believing is a choice. Believing is a choice. Pastor Edwin, how do you know that believing is a choice? You know the story of Thomas. The Bible says that Jesus appeared to his disciples and Thomas wasn't there. Eight days later, they was talking to Thomas about it. And Thomas said to them, he says, unless I can take my finger and put my finger in the nail print of his hands and his foot, unless I can take my finger and press it into his side, watch this. He says, I will not believe. He set the condition for his believing. He said, the only way I will believe that Jesus is risen from the dead, I know he said he was going to, but the only way I'm going to believe it is if I can do something that operates with my five senses. I got to be able to touch it. I got to be able to see it. He says, I got to be able to take my finger and put it into his nail print in his hands, in his feet. I got to thrust my finger in his side where I saw them stick that spear. He says, if I can't do that, then I won't believe. And lo and behold, the Bible says Jesus showed up. The Bible says that Thomas fell to his knees. He said, oh, master, I now I believe because I can see. I can touch your nail print. I can touch your side where they thrust you with that sword. He says, I now believe. Jesus stood him up and he says, Thomas, he says, blessed are you that you believe. He says, but greater are those who believe and have not seen. I'm telling you, you don't always need some sign, some wonder, or some miracle to believe God. Don't get me wrong. Signs, wonders, and miracles are great. But the Bible says, these signs shall follow them that believe. What it did not say, what it did not say was that signs and wonders will be needed for you to keep believing. It did not say that. And so I don't need a sign and a wonder to keep believing what I've already gotten from his word. Signs and wonders follow me because I believe. Because I'm a believer, signs and wonders follow me. So if I haven't seen Jesus do something miraculous in my life in the last 10 days, I don't stop believing God. Just because I pray and believe, pray and believe and ask God to do something, I don't see it in 30 days. I don't start questioning whether or not he's God. He's God because I believe when I read it. He's God because I believe when he said it to me. And so believing is a choice. And you get to believe whatever you want to believe. Thomas says, I won't believe it unless I can see it. I'm telling you, God says there is a greater anointing. There's a greater blessing on the person who can believe without having to see. And so today, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. How do you guard against doubt and unbelief? You get in his word and you believe whatever it is that he has said. You believe whatever it is that he has said. The Bible says this in Philippians chapter four. I close with this. Philippians four and six. It says, be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I love it out of the New Living Translation because out of the New Living Translation, it says this. It says, don't worry about anything. It says, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what all he has done. 
Notice that. He says, don't worry about anything. Because if you're not worrying about anything, then you don't leave room for doubt and unbelief to come in. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray. Talk to God about everything. No matter how big or how small it is, talk to God about it. It says, tell God what you need. Why tell God? Because ultimately, he is the one who can provide whatever you need. It says, tell God what you need and then thank him for all that he has done. In other words, bring into remembrance what God has done before and then begin to give him praise for what you know he's going to do while you're in the midst of believing. Amen. Praise God. All right. If you've been blessed by this message, praise God. Put some hearts up there, some likes up there. I think we have a couple of announcements I'm supposed to make. I'm looking over at my uh, director over there. So Pastor Sean is telling me to tell you, to, if you haven't already, to like the page. And to turn on notifications. So that turn on your notifications so that you get uh, notified of all the various lives that we do. And let me talk about that. Obviously, we do Sunday uh, morning right here at 10 a.m. I apologize for going a little long, but most of y'all ain't supposed to be going out the house no way. And whatever you got on TV, you probably got a DVR so you can go back to it or it's on Netflix anyway. So I apologize, but I don't apologize for going long. So remember, like the page, turn on notifications. We're here on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Don't forget about prayer on Tuesday night. My God, I love prayer on Tuesday night. I love getting on. I love watching the comments. I love hearing what the people on our prayer team pray about. They are some of the most anointed people uh, that I know. They spend time not just praying on Tuesday. They pray every day. They just pray Tuesday publicly with us. So join us on Tuesday night at 8 o'clock uh, right here because we go live on the public page. So right here, the same thing you're watching me on right now is the same place we do pray on Tuesday night. On Wednesday nights at 8.30, we have Bible study. Pastor Ralph does what's called Refresh Bible study. Again, if you haven't heard Wednesday night's message, the God kind of faith, go back and listen to it. It's a great precursor or prerequisite for what we talked about today. Obviously, Pastor Sean's two messages the past two Sundays about believing God for the supernatural, that's important. Uh, because what I'm talking about today is how to guard yourself against doubt and unbelief so that you can experience what she talked about uh, the previous two weeks. So Sunday nights, uh, I mean, Sunday morning, uh, 10 a.m. right here, Tuesday night, 8 o'clock uh, right here, uh, Wednesday night, uh, 8.30 right here. Uh, those of you that, that, that have been watching Pastor Sean's 30 Days of Healing, is that public? She's been doing her 30 days of healing uh, on various days. Listen, turn your notifications on. Uh, turn your notifications on so that it alerts you. If you can't watch it at that time, that's fine. You don't watch it then, but at least you know what's going on. Listen, if this word has blessed you today, and I thank you for hanging in there. I saw those numbers. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't drop. I appreciate that. Uh, if you hung in there today, partners, you know that you can give. There's a link at the bottom. You can give via PushPay. You can give uh, on give, Givelify. You can give via Tidally. You can give via text. Uh, you can go to the website, www.foc.church. Uh, you can click that link at the bottom where it says the one I've pinned there. Uh, all the links are right there. Listen, sow into what you've been blessed by. If this word has blessed you, I'm not telling you what amount to give. 
uh, if you're a part of FOC, you know, we, we, we teach that, that you give the tithe, the 10%, uh, that belongs to you. Listen, this ain't the time to, to begin to hold back uh, on your giving. This is the time for you to be consistent and do what you've done. Stick with the word. Amen. Uh, if, if you need prayer, send in comments, whatever you need to do. Uh, listen, before I go, I, I feel led to, to pray just real quick. Um, we're, we're believing God for the supernatural. And, and I believe that there are some of you, and I, I, I believe this with all of my heart, there are some of you that are on uh, the broadcast right now, that you're believing God for a financial blessing. And, and I, I want to pray a supernatural prayer uh, that, that whatever it is that, that, that you are needing, whether you're applying for the small business loan, uh, whether, whether you've got people who owe you money that's being tied up, I want to just pray right now in the name of Jesus that anything that is hindering or holding up the progress of your uh, receiving your financial need, it be broken right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, that hindrance uh, be cut away, be done away with right now in the name of Jesus. I also believe there are some of you out there who are believing God for a supernatural healing. Uh, and, and, I, and I'm telling you, I, I think you've been offended that it didn't come fast enough. I need you to repent and ask God and say, God, I apologize. And it's okay to be honest with God. He already knows. Say, God, I apologize that I got offended that what I was believing for didn't come to pass fast enough. And just say, God, I'm back to believing. And I believe that you're going to see some supernatural results of healing. People's knees are going to be healed. Backs are going to be healed. Some of you are suffering with migraine headaches. They're going to be gone away. You, you're going to feel instantly those things being taken away. Some of you got, got issues with your joints. I believe that, that some of your issues of, of having uh, early onset of arthritis is because of the bitterness in your bones, because you become offended with God, because you believe God, but, but the life circumstances, the things that happen cause you to stop believing, even if you didn't say it, they're, they're in your heart and they've been affecting you. Uh, your autoimmune system is being affected. And I just declare right now in the name of Jesus that as you repent and as you ask God to forgive you for being offended at the word, you're going to have testimonies of how your head stopped hurting, your joints stopped hurting, you have felt better, you're going to get better sleep, uh, that, that, that nagging uh, allergies and cold that you be uh, uh, having and sensing throughout the, the, the season, it's going to be gone Believe only, believe only in Jesus' name. And I declare every blessing that God has for you be up on your life. Remember what Jesus says, blessed are they that do not stop believing. Blessed are they who continue in what they have believed from the beginning. Amen? Amen. God bless you so much. Uh, I think that's the end of it. I think, Pastor Sean, when you came back, you started another Facebook Live instead of Instagram. Oh. Uh, but maybe not. I'm not sure. Uh, no, it's Instagram. Is it Instagram? Okay. All right. Well, God bless you. If you have any uh, prayer requests, send them in. Uh, in the messenger. In the messenger right there, in the, the messenger portion right here on this page. We have people who are standing by um, to take those testimonies. Or if you need prayer, send those in. Amen? DM on IG. Uh, what's that? DM on IG. Pastor Sean said you DM on IG. I'm not, I'm not big on IG, so DM on IG. I guess I'll let this uh, sit for a minute. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Be blessed.